there are many masters who has uh, who have come to come to a similar conclusion uh, that when a person's life uh, is spent on uh, on themselves and themselves alone, uh, that will not bring happiness. Yeah. Uh, it may it may bring maybe some level of satisfaction. Yeah, uh, we cannot deny that even a selfish person can be happy once in a while. Yeah, uh, but in the long term, uh, the the selfish selfish behavior or actions mindset. Yeah. Uh, of a person who is self-centered ultimately brings uh, much grief and sorrow. Yeah. Uh, now, similar to the to the questions about uh, merits, yeah, should we be practicing this path for the sake of merits? Similar to that, uh, when when we say that those who practice the Bodhisattva path, uh, they truly uh, experience real happiness. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, uh, it is not for, not simply for this sake, yeah, that Bodhisattvas embark on this journey. Yeah. Uh, in a way, the happiness is a, uh, is a. Uh, it comes with it. Yeah, it comes with it. It's like what I tell uh, people. Um, we, uh, I, I haven't heard of any monks or nuns who ordain so that they get to receive prostrations. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it kind of comes with it. Uh, but even then, it doesn't mean that. Uh, uh, it doesn't mean that you naturally get it also, no. In the case of <coughs> prostrations, yeah. But uh, the focus is never on it. So it, whether you get it or not, it doesn't really matter, you know. Yeah. So similar for the uh, person who embarks on the Bodhisattva path. Yeah. Uh, while there are benefits. The aim of the Bodhisattva is, is not simply to just accumulate uh, merits for its own sake or to accumulate and then satisfy themselves. Yeah. Uh, in various, various texts beyond this commentary, uh, there are all these uh, masters, the Bodhisattvas, the Buddhas, <coughs> who espouses how uh, when, a, when a person um, dedicates his, his or her whole life yeah. and when we say whole life it's not just about the duration but about how every single aspect of their life they dedicate it towards uh, benefiting sentient beings and when we say dedicate, initially we think about dedication or <laughs> yeah, we think 
of dedication in this way, yeah, isn't it? Uh, and, and this is a very important step, yeah, no less. Uh, but at a certain stage, then it becomes uh, such that it starts to change your body, speech, and mind. That when you say something, you consciously think about how best to put it across. When is the best time to speak? Am I the best person to speak? How should I put it across? Yeah. And to really consider what is my intent of speaking. Yeah. Because it, it, that dedication that we say, uh, whether it's the Yuan San Zhang Zhu Fan or Yuan Si Gong De Fu Zi Qian Zhuan, it starts to become internalized. Then you don't need to refer to this text. Oh, this text says that I must do this or do that. Then it becomes a initially still conscious effort, and at a later stage, it becomes an unconscious process where you don't have to, you don't think about it anymore. Yeah, but it becomes a natural uh, way of doing things. That when you do it, it becomes the consideration is when you speak, how to, how to benefit others. Yeah. So. In that way, a bodhisattva will dedicate their body, speech, and mind yeah, towards all sentient beings. Yeah. And similarly, when they do it in this way, then there are merits. And the bodhisattva would further dedicate those merits to sentient beings also. Yeah. And when we say dedicate again, uh, we may then have this question like, hey, but so how does this work? But it basically means that they are going to, they are further uh, making this resolve that whatever benefits that they may derive from all these wholesome acts of helping others, of sharing the teachings, of uh, guiding people towards freedom from suffering, uh, whatever merits, whatever good fortune that may arise, they are going to use it further to help center things. It's kind of like how banks work, you know? Yeah? Compound interest. <laughs> yeah. When you get interest, you don't just withdraw it and use it up. You would just channel it back. Yeah. So it becomes a compound interest. Huh? So um, the first chapter uh, I'm I'm doing I'm going through this sort of like just to reestablish us again because we had one week uh, Break, which becomes a two weeks absence. Uh, yeah. So just to get us back into the same page. So in the first chapter, uh, there were many verses in praise of Bodhicitta. Yeah. In praise of those who have Bodhicitta. Yeah. Um, and then it goes into wow, the benefits. Yeah. Uh, the benefits of it all. <coughs> So this second chapter is on repentance, yeah. uh, and the initial part is all about doing various kinds of offering. Yeah. Uh, and if you just read uh, on the surface, yeah, uh, like head on, it does seems like a, a form of enticement, yeah, enticing people to like, hey, you do all this. Then there's a lot of merits, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
The same can be seen in many other uh, sutras actually. There was this monk in the Buddha's time. Uh, he he went to see the Buddha and asked to that and informed the Buddha that he wants to disrobe. And the Buddha asked him why. And he replied saying that he missed his wife. His wife is so lovely, so beautiful. Wow. So the Buddha said, okay, um, tell you what, why don't you uh, hang on first, let me show you something first. So the Buddha brought him to see the heavenly memes, yeah, the, the heavenly beings, you know, and then after that brought him down again and then asked him the question, so what do you think of your wife now? <coughs> now it so happened that it's a monk who is who is uh, affected. Yeah, so the monk is a strict guy, so he has affection towards the wife. Yeah, I'm explaining this because some female, some ladies, after hearing this, like, oh, what kind of description of ladies? Yeah, it so happened that it's the wife. Yeah, because it's a monk. Yeah. Uh, so the this monk then said, oh, now after seeing the heavenly. Uh, maidens and nymphs, my wife looks like a hairless ape. <laughs> so that's why I have to explain. Huh? If it was the other way around, then if it's a nun who is in this predicament, uh, the nun would probably say, oh, my husband is like a hairless ape. <laughs> so don't take it personally, okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oftentimes we get stuck with this kind of thing, you know. Why? Because we have attachment to our rebirth as a male or female. Yeah. And even this gender is fleeting. But yeah, we are attached to it. Oh, I'm a woman, I'm a man. Oh, you say something about my gender. Okay. So, then the Buddha said, if you stay on as a monk, uh, you can, uh, I promise you, you can have access to those heavenly maidens. This is inside the sutra. <laughs> now, so if, uh, there's more to this sutra, but here I want to highlight: consider that which is inside the nikayas. <laughs> Compare that with whatever is offered here. This pales in comparison. This pales in comparison because that is a very central thing that the Buddha is offering, and very blatantly, outrightly. No sugar coating. Yeah, well, actually, a lot of sugar coating. <laughs> you basically say like, yeah, you, you know, stay on. Yeah, you can get that. Yeah. Basically, what our bosses do when we want to tender, you know, <laughs> if you stay on, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna make you a manager, right? The next uh, video cycle. If you stay on, just tell me which department you wanna go to. Yeah. Is it a pay? Have you decided? If you have not decided, tell me, you know, what can we do? Uh, in a way, the Buddha was <laughs> doing that for him. And so the, that monk actually decided, okay, I'll stay. So he started to practice. But then this, this somehow got known to others. I guess it wasn't a, a secret conversation. Maybe there were others around. So this got spread around. And soon, uh, the other monks were commenting like, ah, see that who? 
Uh, that is the monk who stay on as a monk <laughs> in order to have heavenly maidens. <laughs> so he was, he was a bit disturbed and upset, but he was like, well, but that's not, you know, you can imagine the predicament, you know. On one hand, that's not a nice comment to be said about, you know. But on the other hand, it's true, so he continued practicing. And then one day, one fine day, one fine day, he attained arahanthood. And the moment he attained arahanthood, the moment he attained arahanthood, ah, he realized the fulness of his request that the, the that he has put the Buddha in a spot. Yeah, he has put the Buddha in a spot. So he quickly go to see the Buddha, and then repented to the Buddha. Yeah, and freed the Buddha of his promise. Yeah, because the Buddha promised that if you stay on, you can have the heavenly maidens. So he immediately went to see the Buddha and said that he relieved the Buddha of that promise that he has made. And the Buddha replied, yes, indeed, it was foolish. (laughs) But uh, do not worry about that. The moment you attain enlightenment, the Tathagata has been freed of that promise. So uh, I've encountered many uh, lay Buddhists I say lay Buddhists not again, again not as an attack on lay Buddhists, but because usually for monastic, even if they <coughs> have some thoughts, they may think twice to express it so publicly. Uh, about lay people, one thing good uh, is that uh, if they feel a certain way about, let's say even the teachings, they may just say it out. And the thing that is being said is that uh, in the Mahayana teachings, there seem to be a lot of Overly uh, overuse of expedient means, yeah? uh, to the point of saying that oh the Buddha would actually um, give enticement. Yeah? But this sutta is inside the Nikayas. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So and this is just one one case. Yeah, there are other cases with different scenarios where the Buddha very skillfully. Um, would draw people, would draw people, knowing that we unenlightened certain things, putujana, yeah, unenlightened ones, have all our worldly desires and craving, you know. If the the Buddha just tell us directly, fangxia, we wouldn't fangxia, we wouldn't let go. Yeah. So entice us with what is enticing us. So, um, all, so a lot of these practices, uh, when we really go and do it, uh, and include, the key thing is, have the right view as a guide. Yeah. Then the result is not what we see at the surface. Yeah. Not what we see at the surface. Yeah. So. Um, uh, there are there are Buddhists, uh, and I would go out on a limb to say, whether it's lay or monastic alike, uh, are there those who actually uh, do all these practices with the hope of having a bigger house? Do you think so? I think so. I think there are those who may do it 
in order to think that, oh, I want to have a bigger house. Wow, this life I only drive a Nissan. Next life, I, or maybe next year, I want to drive a Beamer. So, wow, quickly, wow, come to Buddhist library and do a lot of offering, you know. Uh, then maybe even write a note and then put at the altar or something. <laughs> yeah. But many times, many times for many people, uh, we may not be so materialistic also. Yeah. For many people, it is something very simple as to ask for just good health. Or maybe not even good health, just health. You know? And many times not even just not even for ourselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, when uh, yeah, as part of the daily practices uh, I know for a fact that I think most, if not all, venerables, monks and nuns alike, they will have a list, their own list of of individuals who are in their dedication. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how other monks manage it. <laughs> yeah. I used to write down in my phone because I usually get requests through the phone and I put it into the list and I will just let them if it's like a first in first out list yeah so if there's no new ones who come in then that list stays there for a while yeah then as new one new requests come in then it get pushed down yeah then after a while i decided that that's too mechanical yeah so i just remember the list by heart whole whole list those who are physically unwell those who are you know, got family problem, those who have job problem, uh, all kinds. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who actually do water, light, and incense offering, uh, you may well want to try this. Because uh, recently, usually when I do those offerings, there are certain reflections and uh, to some extent visualization involved. Uh, but recently, because of some uh, individuals that I, I am counseling or I'm giving counsel to, uh, when I do, did the water uh, offering, uh, I had this in mind that um, I'm offering this water to the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas and enlightened ones, to the Tripa Gem, not for my own sake. Yeah but for these individuals. Uh, whatever merit there is, uh, may it benefit them. Yeah, uh, yeah it was quite a, quite a interesting experience for me. Yeah. You all may want to try that sometime. Uh, so not just thinking about the Buddha when you offer, but to really consider, yeah, I'm uh, whatever, whatever benefit that may come from it, yeah, to really devote that to uh, other individuals, yeah. So, um, before we jump into the text, or as we jump into the text, I want to apologize for the the. <laughs> as some of you noticed. Uh, the Chinese and English text from number 22 or 
or so onwards, they were actually uh, a bit off yeah, by a few verses. So I want to just continue from verse 21 um, and, and proceed from there. We covered this, the, this verse is actually okay, yeah, the previous uh, lesson. May rains of flowers, every precious thing, fall down in an unceasing stream upon the jewels of sacred dharma, the triple gem and all supports for offering. Huh? Sorry? 21 still different, huh? The one that's printed, huh? Yeah, that's why I'm saying it, the, the, uh, that's why I didn't print it for y'all because I I want I, I'm dating it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, y'all need to write down the Changes now. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Uh, I see. I see. Yeah. Please, 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 Out some, some <coughs> verses, yeah. So you'll find that whatever you have for 21 actually appears later, yeah. yeah. So you can also just uh, note down later those verses that are supposed to be together. explain number 22 or so, then you can finish copying this part, and then I will go to number 23. Yeah, I realize that this who or this word, uh, uh, I didn't quite explain 
uh, even though it appeared in the earlier verses, this is actually uh, in classical Chinese uh, one character meaning I. Yeah, war. Yeah, so it's uh, it's like a uh, like you know the polite form, uh, the written polite form. Yeah, so whenever you see this character in this text, uh, it basically means war. I. So this this verse says, "You rule Xiang." Yeah. So this Miao Xiang uh, is one of the Bodhisattva Manju Gosha, and so this Manju Gosha, when we go and search, right, uh, some of the sources put it as uh, one of the like uh, term honorific term for Manju Sri, yeah, Manju Sri Bodhisattva. But there are some texts that say that this is actually another Bodhisattva. So, uh, but either way, uh, this is his name. Uh, so just as how this Bodhisattva in the past has offered to the Buddhas, yeah, to all the Buddhas. Yeah, likewise, this is, I would actually do offerings similar to how he has did, how he has done. Yeah. And offer to who? Rulai Chu Bonsu. To the Buddha. Rulai referring to the Buddha. Yeah. The the proper trans the proper term is actually Tathagata. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think previous lessons I've mentioned before. Uh Tathagata. Uh, referring to those who have uh, uh, attained enlightenment. Yeah, come into uh, existence just like past Buddhas and uh, those who would enter Paradipana just like past Buddhas also. Rulai Ruchi. Yeah. Rulai Ruchi. So Zhu Fuzi, the translation is Bodhisattva children. Uh, basically the disciples of the Buddha. And in this case, uh, will include the bodhisattvas. Yeah, the bodhisattvas. Let me know when you are all done with verse 22.
我以海潮音赞佛功德海，愿妙赞歌云飘零以前以等前。I will offer prayers, uh, by every ways, way and means, to these vast oceans of good qualities. May clouds of tuneful praise ascend unceasingly before them. Yeah, so, Wo Yi Hai Chao Ying. So this this phrase appears in quite a few sutra. Yeah, and it is a it is a kind of a metaphor. Yeah, uh, describing uh, the uh, describing the the voice itself. Yeah. Much like the way when the the wave crash into the to the beach to the to the you know to the shore, yeah, it is very uh, forceful, yeah, but at the same time not unpleasant, yeah. So and wave after wave, stand by the beach, uh, the wave is unceasing, uh. <laughs> So in that way. Uh, you would do what? Zan Gong De Hai. That you would praise the merits of the Buddha. Yeah. Uh, this similar verse, verses similar to this, is found in Avatam Saka Sutra. Uh, in the last 20 chapters, where there's thorough mention about the, the merits of the Buddha. Yeah. And it goes quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, first a collection of ten, then each of these further collection of ten, and then so like just massive. And after that, it ends by saying that even after praising the Buddha in this way, uh, we have not really uh, began begun to uh, describe his merits. Yeah, uh, you have not really, you know. Yeah, so this is so immense. Yeah, so the description here is uh, in praise of the Buddha's merits, which is like the ocean, yeah, wide, deep and wide like the ocean, massive, yeah. massive oceans of merits. Now, and with these praises, there's this, uh, in a way, sincere and humble wish, Yuan Miao Zhan Ge Yun. Again, there's a lot of uh, metaphor describing this uh, these praises of the merits like clouds. Yeah. Have you ever seen a small cloud before? Like like that? No, uh, cloud once they appear is always quite a quite a big you know. Yeah, so uh, this description of uh, qualities of praises of different things as oceans as clouds. It is a very visceral uh, metaphor to describe yeah? uh, that with this uh, praises, Piao Ling Bi Dan Qian, that like the clouds would wow, reach them, yeah, like the clouds. Uh, now you must know that these are metaphors. Uh, these are metaphors. Later traditions, some later traditions, whether it's with with regards to these verses or other verses in other sutras, some then take them literally. Yeah, which can be a bit dangerous. 
I must highlight. Yeah, because a lot of these verses are uh, in the literature world we say wax lyrical. Uh, yeah. And it it has to do with how they feel. Yeah, when when they are so uh, in a way emo, huh? but in a positive way. Yeah, towards ah so much devotion, so they describe in such beautiful uh, manner. But if you then take that literally, or then you start to imagine that oh, your all your praises will form clouds, and the clouds will reach the Buddha. But where is the Buddha? Don't know where. Then must go. You then uh, kind of miss the point. Huh? Now, the other thing about this thing about praising the Buddha's merits is. Uh, in the there's a practice called uh, Buddha Nusati, yeah, uh, recollection of the Buddha. This is part of the sixth recollection, Liu Shuinian, sixth recollection. Uh, in the sutra where the Buddha gave this teaching, it was with regards to those who. Uh, are practicing in the forest or who encounter dangers and they are fearful. And the Buddha gave this teaching that for any disciples of the Buddha, if they should face danger and become fearful, uh, they can bring to mind these six uh, objects. Yeah, these six objects. Uh, the first is Buddha Nusati. Recollection of the Buddha's quality, uh, Dharma Nusati, qualities of the Dharma, of the teachings, Sangha Nusati, qualities of the uh, Maha Sangha, of the enlightened ones, then uh, uh, the Dana Nusati, yeah? uh, recollection of how oneself has done uh, meritorious deeds like giving, for example. Then reflection on sila nusati, yeah. sila nusati, reflection on one's observance of the precepts. That, well, I have, I have been a good person, yeah, giving where I can. I have observed the precepts. Even if something were to happen now, well, I'm confident. Yeah, I'm, my future is, 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 is quite certain. Yeah, and then further. Deva Nusati. Nian Fo, Nian Fa, Nian Sen, Nian Si, Nian Jie, Nian Tian. So, uh, some people misinterpret thinking that, oh, Nian Tian, then, oh, when think about God. Uh. But in the Buddhist teaching, the Buddha's instruction was to reflect on how the heavenly beings get their rebirth because of the observance of the uh, precepts. And by doing giving, yeah. so when you reflect in this way, then um, the, the the fear, the fear of uh, imminent danger would uh, go away. Yeah. Now, um, again, uh, for various teachings, when I first encounter them, I I feel a certain way, and then over the years, as I learn more and I share more. Then I have a slightly different take. When I first learned about this Liu Suinian was when I was a lay person and some variables was giving this teaching. Uh, and it was kind of like a, well, you just, uh, it was a very 
what I felt like okay you just uh, think about this these six and then you'll be okay yeah, but after a while I realized that in order for this six recollection to work uh, you must have known about this six beforehand you must have known about this six beforehand you cannot wait until you are in the in the plane 30,000 feet and then uh, there was there's a lot of turbulence and then the captain is a Tong! this is the captain speaking all passengers uh, back to your seat bucket of seat belt uh, all crews ensure uh, bear for fractionating <laughs> then you say oh I must do Buddha Nusati so and the first place you may not if you in that state of fear and shock and panic you may not even remember and even if you can remember you quickly open up your phone you know turn on your phone and load up the file and you read the text oh the Buddha is has this quality is a blessed one is none of this will make sense to you yeah, will not make sense to you yeah, so um, a person for this to work or for this to have any effect at all the person must have come into contact with the triple gem beforehand yeah. for a person to reflect on the Buddha's quality uh, it's not simply reciting those verses Although for many people, Buddha Nusati means Itipiso, Bhagavaha, Araham And admittedly, when you chant it in this way uh, It does calm you, strangely enough yeah? And it, you, you do feel really religious or spiritual If you are like me yeah? I love uh, the Pali chanting uh, Maybe connection from past life Chinese chanting Strangely, I'm in the Chinese tradition. <laughs> yeah, but I realized that it was partly because of the uh, difficulty in reading the text that I had last time. Yeah, number one. Number two, it the the the, the way it's chanted. Every Kong Siu. So, you know, my challenge last time as a lay person was when I said, Ru, okay, fair enough, you are opening it, I'm not going to join. Yeah. Then, they, when they drag, right, you don't know if you went chant the next one. Like, uh, uh. And after a few more times, you're like, oh. Yeah, that's number two reason. Number three reason is, Somehow, because of maybe a lot of this, and you're not so good at regulating your breath, then I get out of breath. I start to feel like, <sighs> yeah. So, uh, I yeah. For, so for me, it was quite a bit of a challenge. Yeah, but today I'm quite okay. In fact, this afternoon over lunch, my nephew just 
started asking me first of all what 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 languages I know. Can I say this in English, uh, in Japanese, in French, in whatever languages? And next thing you know, he asked me. Well, today was really like a quiz lunch, you know. Yeah, that's never a free lunch. <laughs> yeah, and today was my nephew was quizzing me, pop quiz, asking me whether I know this and that. And then he asked me, Sufu, what chan do you know? I was like, <laughs> Like if you ask me Dharma teachings, okay, right la. But chanting, I say, Da uh, Dei Zhou. Si Xiao Zhou, I can join in. Xing uh, Jing, you know. Did I mention Sing Sing? Uh? I didn't mention Sing Sing somehow. Then I said the sound of Bali chanting. And I said, Oh, Sifu. So, Sifu, uh, you know other chanting? Uh? You know all chanting? Uh? Yeah, no, no, I don't know all chanting. <laughs> Buddha know all chanting? Uh? Well, I suppose Buddha would know all chanting. And finally, then suddenly he said, How about Bas Ba Fo? <laughs> yeah, out of the blue, you know. <laughs> My nephew is not like 20-something years old, a 10-year-old boy. Then somebody asked me, pass bafu, I'm like, well, so I recited part of it. I said, ro zi zuo, ro jiao ta zuo, jian zuo sui zi, wu jian zui, ro zi. Then he's like, no, no, the full, the full thing. <laughs> okay, okay. So I took out my phone and I searched pass bafu. <laughs> but I'm very grateful to him. Yeah. yeah. As I told my... Yeah, then later we chatted up into some more. As I told my family, for, I was actually quite surprised at myself because I actually know the tune and I managed to go through the whole text quite okay. Just a few words that was not so familiar. Because in our monastery in the US, we don't chant for. <laughs> yeah, so whatever I can remember is from the past when I was dragged to Go Temple last time. Yeah, and in Comic Sun, once a year, uh, Chinese New Year, then they will chant past month for thanks to that, to our effort. So I also cannot drag in too. Yeah. So the, those sessions, yeah. And today I would say that, yeah, I had quite a good time, you know, chanting it. Yeah. Uh, so, um, for some students, when, when they tell me that, oh, uh, I don't like chanting. I, I was I can totally understand how it feels. Yeah. But I want to also tell you all. Uh, don't put a period there. Don't put a period there. Put a uh, ellipse. Yeah, put a dot 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 there. Yeah. To be updated. <laughs> yeah. So um, whether we've let me just wrap up this part. So whether with the chanting and so on, when we say um, in praise of the Buddha, uh, in various traditions, this practice is found. Whether as a practice practice or as a part of the puja. Yeah? However, uh, that is the practice of a reflection on the Merits. How do how does one do the reflection on the merits for each of the epithets? Like we say, he he is so it's not this this part is actually not epithet uh, This he uh, that it is said that he is such yeah he is such he he is so bhagavan yeah the blessed one. Uh, there is 
a meaning to it. What, what do you mean by blessed one? Why is he considered a blessed one? Arahan, why is he considered to be one who is uh, who is noble? Yeah, noble in his body, speech, and mind. But why is he noble in his speech and mind? He's harmless. Why? Because he has removed greed, hatred, and delusion. That's why. Yeah. So each of the epithet, all the descriptions, actually is linked to, again, cultivation. So when we sing in praise of the Buddha, his qualities, it's not simply, it's not like, you know, uh, if it's that day, one devotee uh, shared with me about uh, her past 10 over years, uh, admiration and adoration of K-pop K stars. Uh, yeah. Are you all into K, K something, or, or J, or K? L M N O P, yeah, Korean stars ah. yeah. Uh, you see, if you admire stars, if you adore stars, you idolize them. Uh, typically, it is about some qualities that you do not have, and will probably never have. Yeah, you know, in all likelihood, you are admiring some somebody for something that you don't have. But therein lies the difference. It's not when we sing in praise of the Buddha's merits, it's not simply as a fan club, you know, like, wow, a Buddha is great, and, you know, yeah, a Buddha is great. But to say, ah, there are conditions for the Buddha to be wise. Yeah? Now, if I were to fulfill those conditions, I too can do that. And even though I have not done that, I too have the conditions, have the potential for that. So in Buddhism, when we sing in praise of the qualities of the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, uh, it's, it's not simply as a bystander, uh, not as a third party, just admiring and then oh, fan club. Uh, no. no. Uh, this is something I wanted to highlight about this practice. Yeah. Verse 24. So this Hua uh, so this Wei is referring to dust mode. Yeah, dust mode. Yeah, so if you look at the translation here, sorry there's a typo. Yeah grains of dust. Yeah. In many other texts, uh, they use these dust modes or dust, dust mode. Yeah, basically, specks of dust. Or we turn referring to specks of dust. Specks of dust. Um, so, Hua Shen Wei Chen Shu, key thing, uh, it is not us, it's not saying that, oh, you transform yourself into dust specks. Uh. Yeah. Um, so, just with a few characters, there's actually uh, a whole sentence inside, which is that um, you transform yourself, you manifest yourself into uh, many bodies. How many bodies? As many dust specks there are in the world. How big are dust specks? Very small. How many dust specks are there in the world? 
innumerable aspects. So in many sutras, you'll find this among uh, other forms of description of huge numbers. Yeah? Either or as many sand, uh, sand grains in the Ganges River. Yeah? Or uh, as, as much if the whole world is to be broken down into dust specks. Uh, that much. Uh, that is say, uh, in, let's say in the Avatamsaka Sutra, in Dharma Sutra, in Vedas Sutra, they go further. They say, in that number of dust specks, world of dust specks. Oh, so it's like power, you know, 10 power of 10. <laughs> yeah. so huge number, X, power of X. Yeah. Uh, so in this case, to manifest your body into a huge number. How huge? As, as much as there are dust specks. Okay? And then this Pufu Wadingli. So Pufu is actually to prostrate, uh, to like uh, uh, lie down. Yeah. To really like, you know, yeah. San Si Yichie Fu Zhen Fa Zui Shen Shen. So we uh, with this uh, manifestation of so many bodies, yeah, why do you need to do that? Yeah, why do you need to do that? To express your devotion for one, for two, uh, again I quote from Avatamsaka Sutra, uh, uh, Samantha Bhadra Bodhisattva would do that. Why? Why must he manifest so many bodies? Why? Because there are so many Buddhas out there. To each Buddha, he manifests one. And uh, because there are innumerable Buddhas as much as the dust specks, uh, he would manifest that much body. Uh, and with each body, will do the prostration. San Si Yichie Fu, Buddhas, all Buddhas of the past, present, and future. Yeah. If you look at the uh, uh, sutras, then when they talk about the three periods, is uh, not in the sequence that we I, I just mentioned. It is usually past, future, and then present. Yeah. So the Sangha, the Sangha that is that has uh, uh, that is of the of the true Dharma. Uh, that is most supreme. Yeah. Uh, in other words, the holy sangha. Yeah. The enlightened sangha. Yeah. Verse twenty-five. So, uh, this part quite interesting. So, the first two verses, uh, So, uh, in a way, from this, these verses, you can see that. Uh, of course, we know that historically, when this uh, this verses was uh, was 
what you call that compose. Yeah. Um, so uh, by then there was already the stupas. Yeah. There was already this development of stupas. Today when you go to uh, let's say Myanmar, Sri Lanka, uh, you go to various countries, Tibet, you go to Dharamsala, you go to China, yeah, all over the world where there are Buddhist sites, you will see different forms of stupas. Uh, in fact, the word stupa uh, varies also. Yeah, in China it's called a pagoda. Yeah, uh, uh, then in let's say the Thai tradition is called a chetia. Yeah, uh, Myanmar also called chetia. Uh, basically, the Thali temple chetia. Yeah, uh, then in uh, the Tibetan tradition, uh, I think they call it stupa. Yeah. Huh? Uh, so in terms of the form, you'll find that uh, the different traditions have different designs also. Uh, let's start with China. China, stupa, well you can even walk inside, huh? there are stairs. Uh, and later on, some of these stupa started to house not just the relics of enlightened ones, but even house uh, that of the, the Dharma. Basically, like uh, uh, become like a girl, yeah, a tower becomes a tower. Yeah. Uh, most of the stupas, or if not all the stupas, uh, are built to commemorate the passing of a uh, of a enlightened person. Or in uh, in my opinion, basically a member of the sangha who has. Uh, contributed to the Dharma, to the Buddha Dharma, in significant ways. Uh, in significant ways. Now, in the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, when Verba Ananda asked the Buddha what to do with the remains, the relics of the Buddha after uh, it has been cremated, the Buddha's advice to him was to go and meditate, yeah, not to <coughs> concern himself with all these things. Yeah. Told him that the the Brahmin, the lay disciple, the kings, the prince, and so on and so forth, they will handle that. But the Buddha in that sutra, that section, uh, did highlight uh, that a stupa uh, or, or, uh, or a stupa can be built uh, uh, to honor uh, a few kinds of individuals. One, a Buddha. Two, the noble disciples of uh, uh, in uh, who are enlightened. And three, uh, that of a wheel-turning monarch. Yeah. Uh, so mm, <clears throat> the the Buddha then go on to describe how uh, the, the the body of a being uh, of these few categories. Uh, how many layers it can be wrapped and so on and so forth yeah. uh, but even then the initial initial stupa were nothing more than burial grounds it was a burial mound it's not a tower structure it's not like that of let's say in the 
uh, a country is that uh, uh, let's say many of the stupa has that of an inverted arms bow design and then on top there's a cone yeah uh, if you go to Budgaya, uh, you go to uh, what is that Rajagadhya, yeah, you see the stupa of Venerable Sariputra and some of the other disciples. You'll find that some of them are actually just a mound. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the earliest form of a stupa. Yeah, not, not like what we think of today as stupa. When we think of a stupa or all kinds of ships, yeah, but those came later. In India, many of the stupas uh, that are from 2,000 years ago, uh, they, they don't resemble what we see today. Yeah. Some are just this mound, yeah, and if not for some of the uh, Ashoka pillars, nobody would know that that is actually some chief disciple. Yeah. Uh, some of the other uh, disciples who are more prominent, uh, the kings, the later kings, honor them. So, on top of that mound, built some uh, structure. Yeah, and the initial ones is nothing grand like the way we see it. It's just one one layer of brick. Then, later kings uh, want to express how how they honor the enlightened ones. Built over it, one more layer. And build and build and build until it became like a granary storage, <laughs> you know, becomes like a circular, <coughs> uh, like a cylinder. If you look at Varipa Sariputra's uh, stupa, it looks like it's more like a cylinder than anything we can imagine today. Yeah. Uh, so stupas develop over time, uh, but uh, this practice of paying respect to the stupas uh, is that the stupa signify or is symbolic of those who have practiced and attained enlightenment. So when we pay respect to the stupa, it's not so much to that thing there. And I will go out on a limb, it's not so much uh, to that relic also. But what the relic or the stupa signify? which is our potential to become awakened. To remind us that once there was a person who lived among us, who walked on these grounds that you are stepping on, who through humanly possible effort, strive and struggle against the defilements that were present, made mistakes, but overcome them again and again until one day <coughs> one final victory attain enlightenment to me that is the significance of stupas and relics so Li Fo Ling Ta Pu Ti Sing So uh, you, cons you consider these two one is towards the stupa the other one is actually to something that is immaterial, yeah, to the root of bodhicitta. Yeah. Yeah. But in fact, the two are pointing in the same direction. Uh, pointing in the same direction. Uh, but 
for most people, the second one, Puti Singapat to Bodhicitta, hard to visualize, uh, how to pay respect to Bodhicitta. Huh? Or oh, but if you a grand stupa and then wow, very nice design, yeah, and make it uh, 50 meters tall, 100 meters tall, wow, so big that you have to spend half an hour walking around it. Wow, and and in some countries, then people started to adorn it with gold, you know, and put jewels on it and all kinds of adornment. Wow, then you feel, wow, within this structure that must have been. But uh, most, uh, I don't say you are, uh, maybe for your, you are, uh, you have gone beyond the material. Have you gone beyond the material? Uh, you all know yourself. Huh? <laughs> uh, so for, for those who have not gone beyond the material, if you ask them to pay respect to this too, easier for them to pay respect to something tangible. Uh, something tangible. If the Buddha statue behind is a small Buddha like that, and you put it there, such a, I mean this is not a small room, it's not very big, but you have a small Buddha sitting there. When you pay respect, for most unenlightened beings who have not gone beyond the material, hard to express that respect. Uh, a bit harder. I don't say it's impossible. For those who have gone beyond the material, yeah, or is able to to focus on what that small Buddha signify. In fact, for some, they don't even need the Buddha image. But I, I say, if a person insists that everybody need a big Buddha, or everybody should not have a Buddha, uh, both are extremes. Because uh, everybody needs different things. Uh. In Gong San, fourth floor, the big Buddha, I've heard and I've encountered individuals. Uh, usually when there are visitors, I'll bring them up. Yeah, If it's still open, usually closes at 4. If you want to visit, make sure you go before 4 p.m. Some of them just entering and gazing upon the Buddha, they just start with crying on. And it's not, oh, I see it somewhere, but it's, they're just so moved. And you know, I've heard of one case, and I think there are many cases, they're not even Buddhist. Or. Some are even like adherents of other faith. Yeah? And they get, they, sometimes they get quite confused, like, why is this happening? Like, I'm not a, even a Buddhist, I belong to another religion, but I don't, don't know why. I, I just start to tear. And in all accounts of this tearing, they would always highlight. And it's not as though they re go and check Wikipedia why I cry when I see a Buddha, or then they give a standard answer. But they all somehow give similar description of how, but don't be confused. It's not that I feel sad, but I'm tearing without the sadness. So it's quite interesting. In the past, I, I do hold that kind of view like, I, uh, why bother with so much of these material things? No? But over the years, I start to appreciate that, yeah, different people at different stages really need different things. Really need different things. There are some students who, when they listen to teachings, they are very moved. And they connect so deeply that, they feel great joy, or they, they just hear when they hear the teachings. Yeah. But some, 
here until uh, Sifu drink finish the water, the steel, <laughs> and then they fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. But the Buddha in the in the fourth floor don't have to say anything, just sit there. Yili So likewise. Let me say, in a way, we can loosely use the word visualize, yeah. Uh, but in a way, we have to be careful because oftentimes when we say visualize, again, it is visceral. Yeah, it usually means that, or in your mind, you conjure up some images. To visualize, usually, it means that. Uh, rather, I would like to to say, uh, reflect on what is bodhicitta, and then you pay respect as you are doing that. This is how I understand it. That when we say you pay respect to Bodhicitta, uh, it, it should be uh, to reflect on what Bodhicitta is and then pay respect while doing that. For some people, uh, you may then recall uh, actual, actual incidences which can become visual of actions of individuals that you know of or maybe it's description in the sutra of the expression of bodhicitta for example in the past i think there was the sip air um, crash in tai taipei right was it sip air sq sq yeah and there was this air stewardess SQ, right? There was this air stewardess who, 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 I don't know why today quite emo, <laughs> uh, who, uh, in the reports of the, 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 the passengers and the crews, I mean, she passed away from the, from the, but, yeah, that she consciously stayed back to make sure everybody is clear. When I, when I read about that, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, I don't know whether I, I would be able to do that. I like to think, yeah, I, I like to remind myself, yeah, if I, I'm in such a, such a situation, I should do that, I want to do that. But you never know, you know, sometimes you really come to me, then, wow, Sulai, Sulai. No, la, Sifu will not do that. <laughs> so far in my life, I, I think I respond fairly okay uh, in, ter in times of emergency. And I, I, I don't take credit for that. I must thank uh, the Scouts movement. Yeah. Uh, being a Scout in primary school, in secondary school, and later on volunteering as a venture rover and some form of leader, uh, adult Scouts as well, way until I was even working to some extent. Uh, yeah. The the scout motto, be prepared. Yeah. Uh, yeah kids very good to cycle you know, at a young age. Be prepared. <laughs> Luckily I joined Scout, not some cow group. Kill everybody. Yeah, kill everybody. That's how those extreme ones, you know? At a young age you tell them that that's the right thing to do. That's the purpose of a life. 
In many ways, I see a parallel between the Buddhist outcome path and what is described in the Scout's movement. Yeah. A Scout is a, is a friend to all. A Scout... Uh, uh, well, the Scout, I forget really. <laughs> So, um, as far as paying respect to, to Bodhicitta, uh, there are these different approaches. Uh, different approaches. So, likewise, paying respect to those who have um, uh, attained and practiced uh, precepts to a high degree. Yeah, to a high degree. Kanpu. Uh, Kanpu is, uh, you don't go and search Chinese dictionary yet. Uh, but today if you Google, they will come out with all the uh, Tibetan related uh, uh, description. Yeah? Uh, it's actually a transliteration from the Tibetan uh, word Kanpu. Yeah? Uh, there are a few different meanings. Uh, uh, actually, actually, Kersila uh, then is Tiaoso. Yeah? Yeah, Kampu, right? That's a few meaning. Uh, at first, when I see Abbott, I'm like, hmm, how come Abbott? Hey, but uh, actually, Abbott is a correct translation. Yeah, but why is it uh, that usually when we hear about Kampu, then it's usually uh, that of a person who is very learned and in charge of a group. Yeah, but we must know that. Today, when we hear the word abbot, we usually think of a title, a role, or like overall in charge of a temple, monastery head. Yeah. But if you really dig into what it means to be an abbot, then this person is in charge of the spiritual cultivation of this group. And in order to be able to do that, the person himself must have been learned. Uh, so in the Tibetan tradition, Kempo refers to those who are uh, learned and has been tasked with uh, being in charge of the practices of a certain group. The equivalent would be that of an abbot. Yeah. Asali, Asali uh, um, is actually Acharya. Yeah. When we translate, and again, Asali is also not a not Chinese word, uh, it's a transliteration, uh, Acharya. Uh, and the if you translate to Chinese li, Chinese words, it's Qing Jiao Shi. Yeah, Qing Jiao Shi, meaning uh, your mentor, yeah, your instructor, your mentor. Uh, so usually to ordain, then there are two persons who is involved, uh, uh, the preceptor and then your Acharya. Sometimes the, the, the role can double up, yeah, they may double up, but many times the person who uh, administered the precept would only would focus on your practice of the precepts, then the other one, the Qing Jiao Shi, would cover all the other practices. <coughs> yeah, Qing Jiao Shi, Qing Jing the Qing, Jiao Wei the Jiao, and Shi Fu the Shi. So your Instructor, your mentor. And the Qing Jiao Shi in this case is usually uh, the person who uh, who would take care of your 
daily practices. Now, if you combine, if you put Kampu and Asali, Kampu and Asali together, then Kampu is not just the abbot, no, but the person who actually confer the precepts to you. Yeah? Take care of your practices of the precepts, and then Asali, the other practices such as your meditation, uh, your daily, what you're supposed to do, and so on. Okay. So here, paying respect to the to the stupas, yeah, signifying uh, enlightenment, the Buddhas, the whole lineage, yeah, and to Bodhicitta, to those who uh, who actually uh, uh, observe the precepts, practices the precepts. Uh, what is the most most superior form, uh, of course, when you're enlightened, Tao Gong Jian. In the SGC, I've covered just recently uh, the three categories. Uh, the first category is Lü Yi Jian. The second level is Ding Gong Jian, then Tao Gong Jian. Let me share it briefly. Uh, Lü Yi Jian, the observance of uh, precepts according to the rules. Second level, Ding Gong Jian, observance of the precepts uh, coupled with concentration. Third level, Tao Gong Jian, observance of the precepts uh, coupled with the path. What is the first level? Uh, it is uh, in accordance to the rules. The rules say so, so you do it. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, what it means is that at, the, at this stage, which is how everybody starts, uh, while, uh, while you consciously agree to it, but sometimes, given circumstances, uh, we may actually want to do otherwise. Uh, we may want to do otherwise. But yet, because the rule says, don't do it, we put in the effort not to do it. You see cockroaches at home, you feel like killing it. Uh, uh, and of course, in order to do that, we will think of all kinds of uh, very important reasons. Oh, I'm protecting my family, uh, <laughs> all, all these things. Uh, yeah. uh, but then you remember, ah, there's this, there's this description, ah, we shouldn't harm certain things. Yeah. Oh, you have observed the precepts. Panati pata viramane sikapadam samadhi ami. Or I undertake the training rule to abstain from killing. Sayang. Shouldn't have observed so soon. Huh? Yeah, so some students ask me, so can I take the three refuge first? I don't take the precepts. I'm not ready. Give me one year. So I often tell them. If you look at the first four precepts to abstain from killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, and lying, it's all about harming others. When you say you're not ready, give you one year, it means that, Sifu, give me one more year, I want to harm people for one more year. <laughs> I, yeah? Give me one more year. Yeah, so, uh, but this is how we start. Yeah, so don't beat us. My point of highlighting this is that. You, we, when we know that this is how we start, then 
we don't waste time beating ourselves over it. Yeah, don't have to guilt trip yourself. Not not that we want to guilt trip ourselves. Guilt trip usually is involuntary. Yeah, but to, knowing that yeah, unenlightened mahbubian. But at the same time, knowing that we are like that, then you must be doubly uh, conscious of putting in effort. Yeah, because it means that yeah, there will still be impulses. No, don't think that wow, you observe precepts, you listen to dharma talk, wow, then you are so inspired. That's it. <clears throat> Today onward, I will not break any precepts forever and ever. Hey, then after a while, hey, you do something stupid again. Wow, then you feel ayah. I think I'm too good. Oh, Buddhism is too tough for me. I better give up. Oh, then you go down. Uh, at first, wow, a lot of effort. Wow. Then you make one mistake. You grit. You end up guilt tripping yourself. Then you go down. Uh, you just give up on yourself. Uh. Then you just uh, wow, even disappear from the the group cultivation. Disappear from uh, this and that. Oh, then until you hit rock bottom, oh, then you feel like, ah, oh, cannot, cannot. Then suddenly you receive a text from Sifu. Hey, how are you today? Oh, oh, Sifu, so, so kind, oh, so compassionate. Not this Sifu, ah, this Sifu don't do that one. Dang Gugu, Sifu text you like that. If you text me, Sifu, I need help. I will be happy to spend time. If imagine how. Five thousand Facebook friends. Every friend I go and text, how are you today? See all the call. Well, then you from some sifu, ah, not me. Then you feel motivated. Wow, you practice. Wow, oh, yes. Then you read the Dharma text, or or maybe you receive the uh, the WhatsApp post or whatever. Wow, oh, then you practice, practice. Then, wow, yes, I can do it. Wow, oh, let me do it. Wow, oh, then you practice. Then make another mistake. Then go up and down, go up and down, go up and down. Don't have don't 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 have to do this to yourself. Yeah. Instead, know that yeah. Being unenlightened, there will always be be this. There will still be this. Not always. There will still be this internal struggle. To do right or to do left. And and I want to highlight and encourage you. It is when there is this process, then there is merit. When you put in effort, yeah, even when there's evil and wholesome thoughts, or some naughty thoughts, not some silly thoughts, ah, uh, but you are aware of it, and there's merit. Yeah, and then you uh, you put in effort to overcome it. That that is when the merit is. Uh, as I mentioned in various classes. Not simply, or that you didn't kill, then there's merit. Because if that is the case, then whoever is in coma has a lot of merit. Yeah, every night when we sleep, we have a lot of merit. Well, then we should sleep at ten o'clock, stay until ten a.m. Well, then you have twelve hours of merits every night. Huh? Then small kids, when they are just born, they are not even able to move or take care of themselves. Then they have a lot of merits. Huh? No, if that's not the case. Yeah, that's not the case. It is that you dedicate yourself to overcome, overcome these lives after lives of habitual tendency to hurt others, to harm others. Yeah, especially when provoked. No big deal if you are sitting here, nobody provoke you, and then you know, uh, But even in temples, sometimes get provoked. You know, 
Yeah? Uh, you sit there, then someone come and get him up. Tell you, hey, how come you like? Then you. I'll let it get provoked. Uh, but yet, when provoked, is when provoked or not provoked, uh, you put in that uh, the effort, I will not harm others. Uh, that Therein lies the merit. So that's the first level. Second level, when you are in concentration, in samadhi, in jhana, your mind is is inward looking. Yeah? It is settled in something that is beyond the senses, beyond this worldly affair. While you are in that state of, of uh, meditative bliss, uh, there's no condition yeah, for you to uh, actively think, ha, I want to kill, steal, have sexual misconduct, or to lie. No, no conditions. There are no conditions. It's just like when you're playing uh, Candy Crush. Uh, you, okay, Candy Crush is maybe not a good example because you can still get angry. Uh. Cannot. Uh. Won't get angry. What we can say is that when you're playing Candy Crush, you probably will not have any reasons to be angry with another person outside. I'm trying to give you an example of how it's like to be in jhana. Because, okay, maybe all of you have entered jhana before. But for those who have not, uh, this is one way to visualize it or to understand it. When you are very absorbed into something, yeah, maybe a movie, maybe or something, then you, you have no reasons to be upset about things that is outside. So within that confine, you have no reasons to kill, to steal, to engage in sexual misconduct or to lie. But, but when you get out, uh, then it's different. <laughs> uh, when you get out, if you are not enlightened, you may still have conditions to be upset. Uh, so th uh, there's this this insider joke about how uh, before learning Dharma, okay, you get upset. After learning Dharma, not upset. Then go and meditate, come back, get even more upset. <laughs> Why? Now before that, when your family members uh, watch movie, um, watch TV serial, loud, joke, okay, can, you can bear with it because you joke with them, yeah? you talk, you chit chat with them, but when you go for retreat, Oh, then you and enjoy a different kind of bliss. Within that bliss, wow, nothing seems to touch you, you know. Wow, not affected. Oh, wow. Wow, I can sit. Oh, I wish I can sit here forever. Wow. <laughs> then, uh, you only took five days leave. So, after the weekend, come back. So, after coming back, then, in office, wow. People call you, wow, but things you cannot, you know, in the office, you cannot, cannot bend. So, water up, then when you go back home, yeah, having experienced the bliss of quietude, then suddenly, you are, you are not so interested to engage in all those things. But when they continue, uh, unless you have <coughs> practiced uh, some level of compassion or wisdom and so on, if it's pure samadhi, ah, easy to get upset. Ah, easy to get upset. Hey, I'm trying to meditate. Why are you so noisy? <laughs> yeah. And it's not just meditation. But here, because we are talking about ting gong jie. So within 
jhana within, within samadhi, or even not samadhi, just modicum. Uh, but usually here, when we say ting kong jie, uh, it's referring to at least first jhana and above. Why? Because if it's before that, still shaky. So within that confines of deep concentration or absorption, a person would uh, would not harm others. Yeah? Not because of any rules, but because those conditions are inactive. To harm others, they are inactive. But that is still not uh, complete yet. That's a higher level. Tao Gong Jie. It is when a person has attained enlightenment. Having attained enlightenment, uh, and we are talking about Arahant Buddha, uh, the Buddha declared Arahants are incapable of doing nine things, out of which four of them are the first four of the precepts. And why? Because the, the reasons to harm others have been removed. And what are those reasons? None other than defilements, greed, hatred, delusion. So when a person has attained enlightenment, then based on that wisdom, based on the eradication of defilements, then the person is considered enlightened. And connected to that, because the defilements have been removed, Craving attachment cannot arise. Craving and attachment not arising, seeing things clearly, from where would there be intent to kill? No more reasons to kill. No more reasons to steal. No more reasons for the Arahansa, even reasons to engage in any sexual conduct at all. For the enlightened ones, yeah, the earlier ones, uh, like stage one and to some extent even stage two they may still engage in sexual activity uh, but definitely not misconduct but arahans totally abstinence uh, but it's not that but it's more that there's no more desire for it uh, that's the difference huh? uh, there are those who after turning vegetarian then they, wow, they, they would express wow, deep revulsion towards uh, uh, meat, meat dishes and so on. Yeah. Or there are those who are non-smokers and wow, smoke is so... Yeah. But typically for enlightened ones, yeah, it is not, uh, it's no longer necessary to have that revulsion in that sense. Yeah. So it's just that there's no more craving, yeah, no more desire for that. So for enlightened ones, they also uh, observe the precepts. Yeah. But the basis is because the reasons for breaking the precepts have been removed. So, in this case, then referring to those who are of the third category, those who are enlightened already. And then, Kampu Asani I already mentioned. So, here, paying respect to the various uh, objects worthy of veneration. Verse 26. 
意义正法宝，菩萨诸圣众。So 乃至菩提国。So up to. Uh, up to the point of attaining uh, the fruits of enlightenment, such as an individual would do what? Would take refuge in all the Buddhas and rely on the Dharma gem, the gem of the truth. Pusa Zhu Zhong. The, and then the last one is the Sangha. Yeah, Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Yeah, Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Pusa Zhu Zhong. So Pusa Zhu Zhong, uh, Bodhisattva, and all the various enlightened beings. So today is a very joyous day, yeah, because uh, my two nephew, one uh, asked about uh, the Pasapa for the mantra, the Dabeizhou, yeah, and then later I was told that the other nephew, yeah, one is Justin, Justin is the one who asked about the Pasapa for, then the, the other nephew, uh, Ryan, uh, I was told that he wants to take refuge. Oh, wow, wonderful. Yeah. So then I asked, like, so when, when do you want to take refuge? So I thought, okay, then how about this weekend? Then I was told that they are going to fly off already. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, okay, after you come back, then a split second, then I, as we were leaving already, there and there, then and there and then, what was that place? What was that cafe? Uh? Huh? Sports Hub. Uh? At the Sports Hub. Uh, what was that cafe called? Fantos. Yeah. So, refuge was taken in Fantos at Sports Hub. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, and yeah. So as we, was, we stood up and we were going to go off, then I, in a split second, I thought, so I asked, I didn't explain to him also. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether the rest of our family understood, but my sister understood. Yeah. So I, I immediately asked him, so you want to take refuge? He said, yes. And I asked him, so do you take the Buddha as your teacher? He said, yeah, okay. <laughs> Just try to imagine, uh, this small little chubby boy, 10 years old. Okay. And then while, he, while I'm asking him, actually he's like, like fidgeting. And <laughs> Uh, just like, and you will, uh, you will, you will, you will follow the the Buddha's teaching. I said, okay, and then uh, rely on the on the enlightened ones and the uh, Mahasangha as your as your guide. Okay, I said, okay. Then you have taken the refuge, and uh, you will observe the precepts. Yeah. Okay. Uh, did I go through the five? Yeah, I, I said that in English, uh, yeah, the five precepts. Then you say, yeah, okay, okay. Then, okay, then you have taken in principle the three refuge and the five precepts. Yeah. Uh, do you know why? Do you know why? Can you think of, 
not, 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 not that you need to give an answer. Uh, but anyone know? Don't don't guess. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay, don't know. Okay, next. No, no, that means no, no. The, 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 the important thing was actually about uh, why I, I did it for him then then yeah uh, yeah because I was told that they are going off on a trip yeah so you never know what will happen in the trip huh? Uh, not just that, even if they don't change their mind, something else can, may happen, preventing them from taking precepts in this life. <coughs> in the Buddha's time, in the Buddha's time, uh, the Buddha gave allowances uh, pertaining to this. Uh, when uh, certain conditions are met, then we are allowed to do certain things. For example, if a person is pregnant yeah, and going into labor, uh, certain requests can be uh, uh, allowed, whereas under normal conditions, not allowed. If a person is going on a long trip, yeah, then certain conditions, certain requests can be allowed. Yeah. If a person is going to war, uh, certain requests can be allowed. Why? Because in all these cases, it is about how there is a higher chance of possible death. Yeah. I mean, don't have to touch with that. I think you're not so pandang, right? Yeah, but if in case anything happened, not my fault. Uh. <laughs> yeah. But at least, even if anything happened, know that, hey, your son, you know, if anything happened, <laughs> yeah, take refuge before going off. Oh, no better. Yeah. <laughs> huh? Carry on, carry on, okay. So she never get it. <laughs> well, yeah, so I updated it already now. So you can continue the print out. And can do a new print out. Yeah. Don't know that I'm not in charge of internet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in charge of teaching of here. <laughs> okay. What you Sifang for Chi Putisin Da Bei Zhu Senzong Herzang Rusi Bai. So what you Sifang for and so on. So uh, towards the Buddhas in the ten directions, north, south, east, west, and the four diagonals, up and down. In other words, in all directions. Yeah. Um, those who have Bodhicitta, in other words, the Bodhisattvas, the compassionate ones. Yeah. So, means to put the palms together. Yeah. And this is the most universal form of. Uh, uh, expressing reverence and respect. 
uh, in the Theravadan tradition is called Anjali, uh, which literally means respect. Yeah. So respectfully, Rusi Bai means to say, to declare, yeah, to say. Yeah. And uh, uh, usually in the Chinese translation, I don't know about the, the more recent one. With more recent ones, uh, usually the translation is using Bai Hua. Yeah, bai Hua means like colloquial Chinese, like more modern day kind of Chinese. Modern day Chinese, nobody said Bai, Bai, huh? what black, white, white. <laughs> yeah. But in the classical text of the earlier, the, the early translations, then the word Bai uh, appears a lot. Bai for you. So, uh, say to the Buddha, yeah? declare to the Buddha, say. Uh, so, in this case, say what? Uh, the following verses are all declarations uh, and expressing. So, before that, all the practices, then doing offerings, paying respect, uh, then finally, to all the Buddhas in the ten directions, in all the directions, to the Bodhisattvas. To those who come before us, those who are practicing, those who are on the path, yeah, you declare this very sincere um, uh, aspiration of yours. Yeah, 无时轮回起，此事或他生，无知犯诸罪，或劝他作作恶。嗯，呀，so无时轮回起，呀，so yeah, um, in all the Buddhist lineage, there's no lineages that will ever say, oh, there's a beginning. Yeah, this word, wushu, beginningless time. Yeah, or here the translation is without beginning. Yeah, without beginning. In all uh, Buddhist tradition, we uh, this is one of the key, key features about Buddhism. We say that this world is without beginning. Maybe a bit hard to wrap our head around it, uh, uh, but there's a logical re- reasoning for it, uh, and it is that when the Buddhas and the enlightened ones observe each life, the life didn't start randomly. The life started triggered, induced, conditioned by a previous life, and that previous life in turn didn't start randomly. It started. It arises due to a past condition induced by past action. That previous one again in turn. And can you see where this has no beginning? For us, at least for me, I don't know about you. For me, I can understand what the Buddha is describing through logical inference. Yeah, uh, but for the Buddha and the enlightened ones. It is said that it is not a, a simple logical inference. It's that the Buddha traced back, traced back, and he found and when he go back so long, so long, he still don't find a first instant. Yeah. He saw that any time there is an arising, uh, there must have been past conditioning. Uh, so it is not that uh, uh, it is it is such that in all Buddhist tradition, uh, there's this teaching on how <coughs> our 
cycle, Lun-Hui-Chi, our cycle throughout samsara yeah, has no beginning. Wu-Shi-Lun-Hui-Chi, yeah. since beginningless time, uh, the wandering. Si-Si-Huo-Ta-Shen, uh, whether in this life or that life, Wu-Zi-Fan-Zu-Zui. Yeah, so, uh, with ignorance, we do all kinds of wrong. Such timing uh, uh, that Justin should ask about the Basetha for today. <laughs> Such impeccable timing. Today we're covering this. Whether you do it yourself or yeah, you go and persuade others, you ask others to do it. doesn't matter who ultimately do it. You ask someone to do it, ah, you are capable also. Uh, so in the past part for Ruo Zi Zuo, Ruo Jiao Ta Zuo, Jian Zuo Shui Xi, Wu Wu Jian Zui, and so on. Huo Ying Chi Shuo, this is Qian. Who is this? Huo Qian. Qian, this is Qian. So you see, it's very interesting. is composed separately from this. But the meaning is actually the same. So, since beginning last time, whether in this life or that life, due to ignorance, due to ignorance, we may have committed various kinds of evil and wholesome acts, or we encourage others to do it, we instruct others to do it, yeah, or. Uh, maybe we, we should say that the uh, so the second one should be seen as delusion or uh, being overcome by uh, the, they translate as ignorance uh, these two these two words uh, ignorance and delusion uh, I like to explain it this way. Uh, ignorance is uh, delusion is Kwasala. Uh, can I understand? So ignorance, you don't see it. And then delusion, you, you don't see it, you sort of see a bit, see wrongly. And you are attached to this and you think that your seeing wrongly is correct. That is delusion. Delusion is thinking that you are seeing correctly when in fact you are not seeing correctly. Yeah. So they are linked in this way. Ignorance as the <coughs> as the forerunner then gave rise to delusion. And because of delusion, we look at this world and wrongly think that there is substantiality. There's that value is inherent in that. 
and there's really some real value if I can get it. From there, then arises grief. When there's pleasantness, then we think that that pleasantness is inherent in that entity and not due to multiple conditions coming together. So we impute wrongly goodness, pleasantness in that one thing. And from there arises liking, delight, and desire for it. When we have it, we desire for it not to end. And if it should end, then we are so hurt. Because we really feel that we are losing something real. But in fact, we are just, it's just the passing of conditions. Easier said than, than to understand her. But that's, that's the case. And from that aversion of having lost something that we wrongly think as being real, then arise aversion, anger, frustration, and even to the point of hatred. So from ignorance, delusion, then greed and hatred all come about. They all come about. <clears throat> so being led on by this delusion, yeah, and through ignorance we do all kinds of wrong. And even delight when others do it. Uh, when others are doing it, uh, we even delight it. Now, if you can uh, consider and reflect on it and to realize that all that is um, is wrong, that you reflect on the faults and danger of of that state, yeah, and you can see that it is truly wrong, uh, then then can you sincerely uh, repent, confess and repent in front of the Buddha? Now, uh, the, the word Chan many times simply translated as repent. Yeah? Uh, but in, in the Buddhist text, According to my lineage, as I was taught, the word chan means to confess, to basically declare what you did wrong. Yeah? But the hui, to actually see that it's wrong and then make a determination not to do it again. Hui yeah? guy, to have regret over it. Now, here I want to uh, highlight the, the, the key thing. Uh, that in Buddhism, when we do this, this so-called uh, act of doing repentance, it is not that you ask Buddha to forgive you. Then he sit down there, and then he say, "How how many orange do you bring? Five this time. Okay, uh, I I mark it up. Uh. Next time, it bring more. <laughs> no, it's not. It doesn't work that way. It is not that you repent to the Buddha or you cry a lot then." Well, you cut down, cut until one maluku, then the Buddha says, Okay, forgive you. Yeah, it is not on that basis. Yeah. I mean, think about it. The Buddha is a, a great compassionate one. Does he need you to do that to forgive you? Yeah. But in that case, then, why are we 
Why is that this practice? In Buddhism, when we do this repentance, this this dual process, yeah, two-stage process, it is that a lot of um, a lot of changing of our mindset must be involved to see the faults and danger, the problem with what we have done. In other words, change of view from wrong view that is based on ignorance and delusion to right view. Yeah. Initially, <coughs> with, in, deep down inside, uh, I don't know about you, but for many people, deep down inside, you really oh, cry, cry, cry. But you know, inside, there's still one little guy say, but it's quite fun. <laughs> it felt really good. <laughs> you know? And that's why when the conditions come together again, occasionally we may still lapse. Because there's still this still there's still this guy who is not convinced, who's who actually had fun. So when we do the repentance, it's really to recognize that yeah, as fun as it is, don't 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 quite wash this part. Uh. We have to recognize that yeah, there was some de- level of delight when we were doing it, yeah, or some satisfaction in some ways. But having said that, to see that there's a bigger problem with it. Now, when we do this reflection and repentance, that determination is going to plant a seed related to all these circumstances. That's why in Buddhism, I keep highlighting whether it's to forgive others, not forgive and forget, or to repent, not simply to just forget about the whole matter and move on. But you must know exactly what went wrong. Whether when you are forgiving others or changing uh, or seeking forgiveness, you must know exactly what went wrong. And when you then see that it's wrong, make a firm determination, it is planting one small little post-it note one at a time. Each time you do this reflection, you plant a post-it note that is linked to those circumstances, which means that you must really see that the circumstances is a problem. Yeah, Then the, the whole mesh of it uh, is unwholesome. And it's not simply like brainwash yourself, oh, it's unwholesome, it's unwholesome, it's unwholesome. No, but it's really to do reflection with understanding why it's unwholesome. In that way, then within our mind stream is planted this post-it note, linked to all that. Will we then, because of this, never ever uh, be tempted? No. The fact that we have planted, we have done something, then there's a there's a chance of connecting with those circumstances again. And when those are ripening, the the circumstances will come. But what happened this time? When those circumstances come together, our past habitual tendency is not simply purified immediately. It may arise. But then our posting note also arise. Our posting note arise as a reminder that all those evil unwholesomeness, the wrong of this whole process. Now depending on how many posting notes you stick there. <laughs> And how many, how strong and how big that posting note is compared to the delight we have when we are doing it. Uh, then 
there's that struggle. And even then, at that moment, we have a decision to make. To follow the post-it note that we have planted or to follow our past habitual tendency. Confession and repentance in Buddhism works in this way. To plant post-it notes and to really have a transformation of our mindset towards those deeds. In in one of the repentance puja called the water repentance puja, there's a seven step process. Almost like the alcoholic, or that one is 12 steps. Yeah. But this is way back a few thousand years ago. Yeah. So there are seven different qualities that this repentance puja advocates saying that if you want to remove defilements that is arising, uh, actions that you do because of the defilements and those results that you experience, yeah, you remove all this that is impeding you from practice, uh, then you must cultivate seven kind of qualities. Uh, this is the actual verse from the water repentance puja that hundreds and thousands and millions of Chinese would recite. But I dare say, unfortunately, more, many, not all, many take it as a ritual. And don't realize that this is an instruction to do, to change our mindset. Yeah. Usually, water repentance. There's a whole background story about Yujin Guosi yeah, related. Uh, so repentance in Buddhism actually plays a crucial part because it's about transformation. Yeah, it's about transformation. Why? Because being unenlightened, we, we, are, we still once in a while do crazy things. You know? yeah. So in Buddhism, doing repentance is not the self-reproach, wow, blame yourself and then go and cry in a bit and then like go into depression, oh, I'm a horrible person. No, but it's to recognize that, yeah, given those circumstances, yeah, that's what I did. And to see clearly what is so wrong about it. And then to not simply forget and move on, but to remember why you are moving on from this kind of actions. Why? And to really, I was, uh, in, in the Buddha's time, the repentance have this verse inside. When you do repentance, then you become purified. When you are pure, then you have calm and ease. And when you have calm and ease, then you can your mind can become collected and you can have jhana. I'm skipping a few steps here. Uh, otherwise, again, go north, south, east, west. Yeah. So in in the Buddhist tradition, doing repentance is not just by itself. No. It's the precursor to cultivation. Yeah. So that's why in various traditions, this has become a formalized practice. Yeah. But it's not actually meant to become just a ritual to go through and somehow magically you transform. Yeah. There's a lot of understanding involved. So, 
随喜彼所为，见此罪过矣，对佛成忏悔。Yeah, so, uh, verse thirteen. Oops, sorry. 因昔犯众过。Sorry,啊，skip了，sorry。或吹，或吹，吹，吹，吹啊，或吹生女欲，与亲及父母，师长或愚或愚人。This 愚 is which 愚啊，愚夫的愚 ，right？ 多余的余，啊，说。I must apologize, ah, because for your sake, I look for the Chinese translation that is in Jian Ti Zi in the simplified script. But my simplified script standard is at primary school level. My traditional script level is higher. So when I see some of this, what? Eh, this is not higher. Yeah, yeah, because my Chinese is really very jialat. Uh, until I become a monk, yeah, but so I relearn all my Chinese characters based on the uh, the way it is found inside the sutras, which are all traditional script. So half a time I'm like, okay, some words you can you can tell uh, but some in the simplified script they have changed so much. Uh, really cannot tell. Zhao Zhu Zhao Shanghai So. Um, this is sorry, I I did check ah. Uh, what is this ah? Three, three, three minutes three ah. Three minutes three ah. So let let's just take a look. Whatever I've done against the triple gem, against my parents, teachers, and the rest. Through the force of my defilements by the faculties of body, speech, and mind. So, uh, 于亲及父母 towards those who are your kings, your parents, 师长或愚人 So towards your teachers, your elders. Uh, actually, 师长 as a word, as a phrase itself, referring to your teachers, ah, your seniors, ah, 或愚人 or others. 造作诸伤害 you have done all kinds of harm. Yeah. Actually, this is this four. I must explain this word four. This four literally means confusion or bewilderment. Yeah. But here, in Chinese tradition, literally it simply means defilement. But why why four? Is it is a description saying the defilements will confuse us. Defilements have this this quality, this this tendency. But when it arises, then we don't see things clearly. So defilements have different different names, you know, inside the translation, like the trio, Po Ye Ku. So, 因祸造业，受苦，破业苦。呃 ，then 
the uh, the word poor bewilderment uh, and equivalent is like zaran uh, or ran uh, or fanau. Yeah, so all these words referring to the same thing. Yeah. So the through the through the defilements, yeah, and then uh, the I remember when I search it it, it means uh, like uh, pushing, yeah, uh, compelling. Yeah. When your body, speech, and mind is compelled by defilements, in other words, yeah, compelled by defilements, then because of that, uh, how how do you what do you do towards those who are close to you, your kids, your parents, uh, our teachers, or others? Uh, what do we do? Then we do all kinds of wrong things. Uh, yeah, all kinds of wrong things. Uh, and this is again very interesting because inside the uh, Avatam Saka Sutra, yeah, there's this verse, Bangsi so zao zu er ye. Zieyo wu shi ta zhen zhi, zhong shen yu yi zhi shuo shen, jing fei fo qian jiu shang wei. This whole section is virtually identical to that. In si fan zong guo, jing chen you zui ren, yi qie nan su zui, fo qian si chan hui. So I want to highlight the English translation. Uh, every time I see the word sin or sinner, I must highlight. Uh, in Buddhism, of course, for many people, when we think about the word sinner, we just simply think someone who has done wrong. Yeah? But I still want to highlight that the word sin or sinner um, in the Judeo-Christian religion has a, has a very different meaning compared to what we may understand. Uh, because the word sin is not simply that you do something wrong. But what is wrong? Yeah, in the Judeo-Christian uh, religion or in theology, a sin is an act of defiance against God. And this is a very crucial distinction. In Buddhism, there's no such a concept of sin, the way it's understood. In most religions, there is. Not just Judeo-Christian. I happen to just use Judeo-Christianity. Yeah? Why? Because in most religions, it's centered around a divine being. Yeah? And if you do something that the divine being is not happy, then you have done wrong. Uh, that, this is one key distinction. In Buddhism, Something that you have done is considered evil and wholesome, not because the Buddha is not happy. <laughs> Nothing to do with the Buddha actually. The Buddha is totally out of the equation. What we have done is considered right or wrong, yeah, solely based on whether your intent is to harm, whether it's <coughs> clouded by defilements, and it whether it is that or not. Yeah. Not what the Buddha think, you know. uh, and and this is not for Sifu Kasi, but this is how the Buddha has positioned the teachings. Yeah. In Buddhism, the Buddha is actually not in the center of the of the religion. Yeah. Uh, this is one crucial part, and that's why when we say do repentance, it's not about asking Buddha to forgive or not. Yeah. It's not about asking Buddha to forgive. 
because Buddha can forgive all, all you want, but if you don't change, you don't change. If you don't change, you still suffer the consequences again and again until one day you change. Yeah. Until you change. Yeah. Until you change. Yeah. So, sin in Buddhism, there's no such concept. And hence, sinner would be inadmissible. Uh, would be inadmissible. Yeah. Rather, in Buddhism, we say there are conditions given certain conditions, then ignorance arise, delusion arise, greed, hatred arise, yeah? Because of all this, so we don't see correctly, yeah, so of course we are going to do stupid things. You, you, you see how this, seeing it this way, and understanding and realizing it this, is so liberating. You don't have the kind of, oh, I'm a horrible person. Yeah, I did something horrible. Yeah, we, we don't say, oh, because of that, then oh, I'm okay, yeah. But to realize that we don't have to keep on re responding or reacting in the same way. Don't have to. I don't have to. So within those conditions, the circumstances that lead to evil doing is also found redemption or liberation rather. <laughs> yeah. Because those very conditions that lead to evil and wholesome acts are conditional also. It is not inherent. Yeah? And if we can apply this to ourselves, likewise we can apply this to others. And therein lies the basis for forgiveness in Buddhism. Yeah? It's built on understanding. Understanding the state that we are in. Yeah? Being unenlightened. So I want to end the session uh, by highlighting that again this this principle of repentance in Buddhism it is not a guilt trip tool yeah, to make us uh, feel miserable about ourselves or to feel like we are beyond hope and can only be uh, saved by the Buddha. Uh, there's no such a concept actually to, to, to think that we are if we are just impossible, then we, have, we need Buddha to save us. Yeah. But to actually see that, yeah, even our evil is dependent arising. Even the evil that we may do. Yeah. So, I mentioned seven earlier, but the last one is Guan Zui Xing Kong. Guan Zui Xing Kong. That is in another uh, repentance puja. Seven different mental qualities. Seven different mental qualities. And up to the last one, it is to see that even evil itself that we have done is dependent arising and is hence empty of any inherent nature. Okay? Let's put our thumbs together. 愿消三藏诸烦恼愿得智慧真明了愿得智慧真明了不愿罪障悉消除愿得智慧真明了世事常行菩萨道世事常行菩萨道阿弥陀佛祈力<音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音>